0: Well, this morning we're going to be continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount. We're turning the page to chapter 6 this morning, uh, again, kind of at the halfway point here in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been talking uh, to us primarily in chapter 5 about what it means to be Jesus' people. What does this look like? What are the characteristics that God develops in our lives as we put our trust in him, and and how are we to live as Jesus' people in this world? And Jesus is now going to continue these themes now uh, in, in regard to our life in the world as Jesus' people and how we exercise that and specifically how we relate to God in doing that. So some important lessons for us as we desire to grow spiritually uh, as followers of Christ and grow in our walk with the Lord. As I mentioned, uh, Saturday the 17th, we're going to hear some testimonies from some guys who are experiencing God's work in their lives and the growth that comes as we follow Jesus. Um, I I wanted to share a little testimony with you this morning, uh, a story from my own life. Uh, It's not a testimony that I'm particularly proud of, but I think it helps to illustrate the the passage that we're going to be in this morning. Back in 1990, uh, an event was started down in Texas that has become an annual tradition each fall for Christians. Students all around the country. Uh, An event called See You at the Pole. And uh, since 1990, every fall, uh, one particular uh, morning, millions of students around the country gather together outside their schools, uh, in front of their schools at the flagpole, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, young people, uh, to join in prayer. And they spend their you know 15, 20 minutes praying for their schools and their communities and their friends. It's uh, it's just a really cool thing. We have students here at Lakes Free that participate in this in our local high schools as well. Back in 1994 when I was a senior at Eden Prairie High School um, this, uh, this see you at the pole tradition had been about you know four years old now at that time. And uh, I had participated in it. I was a part of uh, the, a fairly large youth group at Wooddale Church in Eden Prairie, uh, one of the largest churches in the state. We had one of the largest youth groups in the state. And uh, 1994, that fall, was my senior year. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of counted myself as a spiritual leader amongst my peers. Um, I, I took some pride in that. You know, I kind of, my dad was in ministry. I came from a long line of pastors and, you know, and, and now this was my big moment. I was a senior in high school. I was going to set the bar for our senior class. I was going to, you know, take the spiritual mantle of leadership and really lead our senior class in in uh, a, a bold witness for the Lord. So that's what that's what my intention was. And I thought, you know, see you at the poll is going to be a great opportunity for me to just show everybody that I'm the spiritual leader here at Eden Prairie High School and, uh, and Amongst the Christian groups uh, here at uh, here at the school. And so the day of CU at the poll came, and there had been a tradition where one of the senior leaders in the, in the school would take the lead and really kind of organize the, the prayer event and maybe share a short devotional and then get everybody involved in prayer. And so I was really excited, because this was my big opportunity, right, to show everybody that I, I was the man, you know, I was, I was the spiritual leader of our campus. And so I got myself all psyched up the night before. Uh, I was getting ready, you know, I picked out the right outfit to wear, and, and I was all excited because I'm going to go and I'm going to you know, take the lead. There's going to be a couple hundred students here. This is a big opportunity for me, right? Not only to show my peers, but all the teachers that are going to walk by and see me leading you know, 200 kids in prayer. I mean, this is going to be you know, a pretty big moment. So that morning, I got ready and I got dressed and I drove to school. I had my Bible with me. Not any ordinary Bible. I had my big, thick NIV study Bible, right? I wanted to make sure everybody saw that I had the, you know, the real spiritual Bible with me. And so, uh, so I walked up to, uh, up to uh, through the parking lot, up towards the flagpole, and uh, I was psyching myself to, to lead, you know, the couple hundred kids that were going to be there that morning. Well, when I get there, all of a sudden I noticed that there was another young man who had already started leading the group in prayer. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, this isn't, <laughs> who is this usurper here, right? I mean, like, I'm supposed to be the guy taking the lead. And then I noticed, and it's one of my buddies from the football team, and he doesn't even go to my church. He's not even in our youth group. He, he's from the Lutheran church. I mean, is that guy even a Christian? Can he do this? <laughs> and, and this guy had stolen my thunder, taken the lead in leading everyone in prayer. Well, I spent the next 15 minutes, instead of praying and praying for my friends and praying for our school, I, s- I sat there stewing, over the fact that this guy had stolen my opportunity, my big moment to show everybody that I was the spiritual leader on campus. You know, friends, why was I so upset about that? You know, think about that. I mean, here we had a couple hundred kids praying for their schools, praying for the community, and I'm sitting there stewing over my wounded pride. I was there for all the wrong reasons, I wasn't there to to lead my friends in in prayer for the glory of God. I I was going into that event seeking my glory, seeking my acclaim, seeking the applause of my peers and the the teachers who would see me. It, It was all about what I was there for. And the motivations of my heart certainly weren't in the right place. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, he tells us that whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Friends, do you ever consider that when when you think about your life? You know, we just spent 20 minutes in worship, but worship really is about so much more than what we do singing songs on Sunday mornings. Worship is about a lifestyle. Worship is about a heart's attitude that goes into every, every circumstance of your life and says, Lord, can I do this? Am I doing this for your honor and for your glory? And you know, when we begin to view our lives as an act of worship, it really changes everything. We, we, we think about our work as worship. We begin to think about our, our parenting and taking care of our kids and, and those hectic mornings, getting them off to school. That's an act of worship. We, we think about even participating in our sports and our hobbies, and even those can be acts of worship when we do all things unto the glory of God. Paul says again in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You are serving the Lord Christ. Friends, do you think about your life in those terms? Do you think about your life being an act of worship every day, every moment, every activity done for Jesus Christ It can be and it should be for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Our lives should be seen as an act of worship. Now, when we view our lives this way, it becomes crucially important that we make sure we're guarding the motivations of our heart. Right? We want to make sure that our heart's focus is not centered on, on us, ourselves and, and the acclaim that we get and the applause of man that we get for serving Jesus and, and making an impact for Jesus. We want to make sure that our motivations are pure, focused solely on God and his glory. As one scholar noted, when it comes to the Christian's lifestyle of worship, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Where's your heart this morning, friends? Where's your heart when you come to worship on Sunday mornings? Where's your heart when you're serving Jesus out in the community or serving Jesus here at church in in various ways? See, Jesus desires a genuine heart of worship for us as his people. He's looking for Jesus' people whose hearts are wholly committed to him and to his glory But you know, friends, if we're being honest about it, it's not always that easy, is it? Because we still have the the tentacles of this fallen sin nature that cling to us. And, And our sin nature causes us to wrestle with divided hearts. We don't always worship with pure motives. We're so quick to fall back into seeking the praise of others. And this is why we need the Lord's teaching this morning. Jesus is going to address this issue here at the outset of Matthew chapter 6. We're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and then verses 16 through 18. You're thinking, why the big break there, Jason? Well, right in the middle of our passage, Jesus gives us the famous Lord's Prayer. And we're going we're gonna to skip over the Lord's Prayer today. We're going to come back to it next week, and we're going to spend, I think, three or four weeks dealing specifically with the Lord's Prayer. But the Lord's Prayer is really an insert in the middle of Jesus' teaching today about the motivation of our heart as we live a lifestyle of worship unto the Lord. So we're going to take a look at verses 1 through 6 and then 16 through 18. Friends, we want to be people who worship for God's reward alone. And this passage is all about the motivations of our hearts. And so if we're going to be people who who worship for God's reward alone, we need to do three things this morning. The first thing we need to do that the Lord teaches us in our passage this morning, we need to embrace the Lord's call. We need to embrace the Lord's call. Now, right at the outset of our Lord's teaching here in verse 1, Jesus calls us to a principle that undergirds everything else in our passage this morning. Take a look at verse 1 again. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people to be seen by them. What is this righteousness that Jesus is talking about? In, in, in the Greek here, the, the word is decay, decayusune, and it has a it has a connotation in this context of an adherence to what's required according to a standard. Okay, Jesus is talking about God's standard and the expectation that we will follow God's standard as Jesus' people. So what is God's standard? Well, God's standard is his will for our lives as revealed in God's law. And, and so when we talk about following God's standard as Jesus' people, we're talking about living out the ethics of the kingdom that we've been studying so far in the Beatitudes. And in the first chapter of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 5, the six antitheses that we've just looked at, right? The blessed ours and the you have heard, but I say to you. Jesus is talking again about the, the heart of God's law and the expectation that as Jesus people, we will want to honor God. We will seek to honor God by living out the law as faithfully as we can in our lives, Again, righteousness here is about having and practicing a lifestyle of worship. We want to honor God in all that we do. That's what Jesus is talking about. God expects righteousness from his people. But here's the thing, friends. We need to be careful that we practice our righteousness for the right reasons. Now, think about this this morning. Isn't isn't our sin nature insidious? Right, like we, we, start, we started the whole Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? And, and why did Jesus teach that? He taught that because our sin nature tells us that, that we can strive and work and earn God's favor ourselves. If we just do enough good stuff, we can earn God's pleasure. We can, we can earn the applause of heaven. But Jesus says, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. You can never do enough good stuff to earn God's favor, right? And so his whole point at the very outset of the Sermon on the Mount is help us to recognize we need to be poor in spirit. We need to recognize just how far short we fall of God's holiness and God's righteousness, and it's then that we are blessed. And remember, that word blessed means to have the favor of heaven, the smile of heaven, the applause of heaven. It's when we recognize how much we need God that we are then blessed. But our sin nature tells us just the opposite. We can experience blessing through our works, through our our righteousness, through our good deeds. But once we get that figured out and we come to embrace the gospel and we recognize that we can never earn our own salvation, here's the insidious way that our sin nature works. Now our sin nature comes in, and once we've been empowered by the gospel and we have the spirit living within us to help us live out the heart of God's law, which we've just been studying, now we're living in in God's righteousness, we're striving to honor God with our lifestyle of worship, now our sin nature whispers in our ear and says, man... Don't you think it's amazing? What, I wonder what all those people watching you worshiping are thinking right now. And, and man, they must be so impressed when they see you serving in the nursery, right? And, and we start hearing these whispers that get us to try to pat ourselves on the back for practicing our righteousness. And, and again, that's just how sin works, right? And so this is why Jesus gives us this teaching. We need to be guarding our hearts, even in the area of our service to the Lord, our worship. And Jesus gives us three examples in our passage this morning of what this looks like. He gives us the examples of giving, charitable giving, prayer, and fasting. Now, understand, those three things are not the point of this passage this morning. This isn't a teaching about giving or prayer or about fasting. It's a teaching about the motivations of our hearts. Jesus just chose those three as an example because they were prominent spiritual disciplines in the life of first century Jews. They're still prominent spiritual disciplines for God's people today. But all they are in this particular context is examples of how we can either worship God rightly or wrongly depending on the motivations of our hearts. If you want, you could easily insert different examples, right? Like, like when you're greeting at the front door, are you greeting to give God the glory? Are you greeting for the acclaim and the applause of the 700 people who are going to walk past you that morning and think, man, what a great guy that is, you know, to hold the door for everybody? Are you there to get the pat on your own back or are you there to serve Jesus, right? When you're singing on the worship team, are you up here thinking, wow, look at all those people. They must think I'm super spiritual, right? When you're you're getting babies serving down in the nursery and a parent's handing their baby off to you, are you thinking, man, this parent must think I'm super spiritual, right? That I'm out here taking an hour of my day serving in the nursery this way, right? What is the motivation of your heart? That's what Jesus is getting at here in these three examples of giving and prayer and fasting. And notice what the Lord calls the people involved in these illustrations, right? The, the people who are doing these things, giving and praying and fasting for the wrong reasons. The word he uses is hypocrites. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. In, in the Greek, the word is, is also hypocrites, all right? And it means a play actor, somebody who performs in the theater, someone who wears a mask. They, they project one image, but there's something very different. This was the word the Greeks and Romans used to talk about you know, actors on the stage. And so when Jesus calls these people in his illustration hypocrites, what he's saying here is that they were nothing but spiritual actors. They, they were practicing a pretend devotion. Their worship was empty. Their motivations were anything but sincere. Jesus spoke of this hypocrisy later in his ministry, Matthew 15, in reference to the Pharisees who we've talked so much about in our series. The Pharisees, Jesus calls them, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. See, friends, this is all about our heart's motivation. Are we honoring God just with our externals, our lips, the words we say, the things we do, but our hearts aren't truly there? Our hearts aren't truly humbled before the Lord. We're doing all of these outer works of righteousness to get the applause of man, or are we doing it to get the applause of God? See, God is looking for sincerity from his people. And when it comes to living a lifestyle of worship as Jesus' people, our motivations matter. Our heart's disposition matters. This is is why point number two this morning is important for us to recognize. Point number two this morning, we need to heed the Lord's caution. Jesus gives us a serious warning here in our passage this morning. In verse 2, in verse 5, in verse 16, listen to the warning embedded in each of these illustrations. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And likewise... Regarding prayer, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And when you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Friends, what's Jesus saying about these hypocrites? These people who do their deeds of righteousness, they live their lifestyle of faith for the applause of men and women instead of the applause of God. What does Jesus say? He says they've received their reward. And what is their reward? They've received the applause of man. Hey, good job in your service. Man, you're so amazing. But guess what? Jesus says that's all the reward they'll ever receive if you're serving and living a lifestyle of worship for your acclaim, for your glory, for the applause of all the people who see you serving, Jesus says that's your reward. And that's all you'll ever get. Wow. What a damning statement. What a tragic thing to live for the applause of man and know that that's all you'll ever get is the applause of man. I I couldn't help this week as I was studying this passage, but think of King Solomon. King Solomon, you know, the famous king of Israel, who spent a a good portion of his life pursuing selfish interests. The whole book of Ecclesiastes, we studied it a couple years ago here at Lakes Free. If you remember, the whole book of Ecclesiastes was about how Solomon, he pursued all of the things of this world. All of his selfish pursuits, all of his self interest. And friends, you've got to believe as Solomon's building his, his palaces and as he's doing all of his good deeds and he's, you know, supporting the arts in the community. And I mean, all of the things that the world would look at and say, wow, this guy is a king. That's a real king right there. You've got to wonder if Solomon didn't often struggle with patting himself on the back, thinking, yeah, I'm pretty special, aren't I? In fact, we actually know Solomon did that. Because what did Solomon conclude about all of his works, all of his deeds, all of his pursuits? In Ecclesiastes 1:14, Solomon says this, "I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Everything that we do, friends, for selfish interests, selfish pursuits, selfish motives. Solomon says it's all vanity. That that word vanity there in the Hebrew, it means a mist, a vapor. Here one moment, gone the next. Poof, it vanishes, it's gone. Jesus says, friends, if you're living your life of worship for the applause of other men and women, when you serve, when you praise, when you worship, right, when you're doing your good deeds out in the community, if your goal is to have everybody look at you and think, man, that person is amazing, What a a woman of God, what a man of God. Jesus says, oh, you'll get your reward, but that's your reward, the applause of man, and that's all you'll ever get. This is why point number three this morning is so important for us. As Jesus' people, we need to seek the Lord's commendation. Listen to what Jesus says again in our passage, verses 3 and 4, verse 6, verses 17 and 18. What's the alternative to the one who seeks the praise of man? Jesus says this, He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then he says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Friends, Jesus here is talking about the reward of our Heavenly Father. And our motivation should be about honoring Him, giving Him the glory. And understand, again, when Jesus here talks about giving in secret, or praying privately, or giving yourself the spa treatment when you fast, right? When he talks about these things, these aren't meant to be literal imperatives. Jesus is simply using these three examples to highlight the importance of guarding our hearts and our motives when it comes to our worship. So don't don't be mistaken. Jesus isn't saying that public offerings or public acts of charitable giving are out of bounds. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that praying in co- corporately as a body, as a group, he's not saying that's wrong. He's not saying that fasting doesn't come with physical challenges. Okay? He's not saying any of those things. Again, these are all simply illustrations pointing us to the matter of our hearts. Are our acts of worship and is our lifestyle of worship about us or is it about God. Now, hear me for a moment here, friends. While these illustrations might not necessarily have been given to be taken literally, some of you might need to consider taking them literally. And let me explain what I mean by that. Some of you might need to consider setting up online giving so that you truly can give in secret because you know you wrestle with pride when you drop your offering check off in the offering boxes out in the foyer. Some of you here today would probably do well to devote some extended time to personal prayer and private prayer because you know you struggle with thoughts of pride when you pray out loud in your ABF group or your Bible study. Some of you here might need to devote some extended time to uh, think about what fasting means. That's a discipline that not, not many of us Do regularly. We're actually going to talk about fasting in a few weeks. What is fasting? Why do we do it? But in regards to our motivation, some of you would probably do well to stay away from fasting right now because at this stage in your spiritual walk, you grapple with the love of other people's attention. Right? This is a heart matter, friends. Jesus didn't give these instructions as little commands. He gave them to motivate us to constantly guard our hearts and make sure that our motivations are true. Are we living for the applause of man? Are we seeking to stoke our ego? Or are we motivated solely by the goal of honoring God? That's what Jesus is getting at here. And Jesus tells us that God knows our hearts. Our Father who sees in secret. He sees all of our hearts. He sees our motivations. He knows our desires. And he says, he will reward us. Our Father who sees in secret will reward us. And friends, that should be enough. That should be our motivation. In fact, the Bible tells us what our reward looks like. We have the reward of, obviously, the applause and approval of heaven that we talked about earlier, just knowing that we're living in line with God's will for our lives. We have the fruit of our obedience, the blessing that comes in this life when we honor God and live in his will. But there's another reward. There's the eternal rewards that we receive from God for our obedience. Listen to what the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 10 about the eternal rewards. So we are always of good courage, the Apostle Paul says. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now here, Paul is talking about this judgment seat of Christ. And he he goes on. This is a different, that's a different passage, right? You can go back to 2 Corinthians. Paul talks about this judgment seat of Christ. The word there in the Greek for judgment seat is the bima. The Bema seat of Christ. The Bema seat in the Greco-Roman culture was where the officials in the Olympics would sit and they would give rewards to the victors of the games. And the rewards were generally a wreath, a laurel wreath, like a crown. And Jesus, Paul says that one day, all of us who are followers of Jesus will stand before his judgment seat, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ, and Jesus is going to reward us. Now, understand, friends, what's this going to look like? What's going to take place? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul goes on and tells us more. Now, friends, understand, this Bema of judgment, this is going to be a process of purification where all of the works that we did, all of the acts of righteousness that we did that weren't done with pure motivation, right? This goes back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 in our passage this morning. Do not work for the reward of man. All of that's going to be burned away. It's going to be consumed by the holy fires of God anything that we did out of selfish, impure motives as followers of Jesus, it's all going to be burned up at the beam of judgment. And all that's going to be left in will be those works that we did out of a pure heart for the glory of God. This isn't a judgment about salvation. This is a judgment of purification and reward for the works that we did on Jesus' behalf. And what are our rewards going to be? The Bible tells us in at least five passages that Jesus is going to award us with crowns. Why crowns? Because crowns are symbols of authority. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus comes and returns and sets up his millennial kingdom and reigns on this earth for a thousand years, we're going to need those crowns because we're going to reign over the earth with God. 2 Timothy 12, 2.12, 2, 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Revelation 2.26, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Revelations 5, 10. and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Friends, all of our works of righteousness done for our own glory are gonna be burned up at the Bema Seat. And Jesus is going to reward us with crowns for the good works that we did, all for his honor, all for his glory. Isn't that amazing? One day we're going to reign with Jesus. But it gets even more exciting because God tells us that while our crowns will be our reward, we won't see them as symbols of our glory. We'll see them for what they truly are, offerings to give to Jesus all for his glory. The Apostle John gives us this vision into the throne room of heaven in Revelation chapter 4. And in Revelation chapter 4, he he gives us this incredible picture seeing Jesus sitting on the throne of heaven. He sees these incredible angelic creatures surrounding the thrones of heaven. He sees, Charlie, if you go down to the next slide, he sees 24 elders seated around the throne. The 24 elders represent the church, Jesus' people. And these 24 elders, every time these creatures uh, speak out, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Every time these angelic creatures declare the praises of God, the elders, the church, Jesus people take their crowns and they bow down before the throne of Jesus and they lay their crowns at his feet to worship him. Friends, what an amazing experience that's going to be. And what greater motivation could any of us have but to live for the Lord's commendation, to receive our reward from him, to be crowned by the king of glory, to fall down before him, casting our crowns before his throne in worship. Friends, one day there will be no other praise, no other acclaim that we'd desire more than to bow before the throne of Jesus. And so today, friends, let's pray that we might live in light of this incredible calling. Let's pray that we might live in light of the promise of the reward that God has for us. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to fix the motivations of our hearts wholly on the glory of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this teaching. It's a teaching that we so desperately need. Because again, as I shared, even even as followers of Jesus, as Jesus people, we have the, the tentacles of this fallen sin nature that still cling to us. And we're so quick to desire our glory and our acclaim, even in our acts of worship, even in our devotion and our praise, it's so easy for us to let the desire of the applause of man creep into our hearts. So Lord, I just pray that you would help us fix our eyes on you. Fix our motivations wholly on your commendation, not on the acclaim of man. Help us to to be satisfied and overjoyed in the reality of being your children and the honor of living for you and the joy of the reward you've promised us in eternity. God, help us to have hearts wholly fixed on you for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.